How you doing? I'm Jay Hill, president of Jay Hill Speaks. We have been in existence for 10 years. What we do is we work in schools on the collegiate level, on the middle school level, on the high school level. We impact kids with this workbook called Becoming a 21st Century Leader. A leader to me is loyal, empowering, assertive, determined, educated, and respectful. We impact the kids with those core values so they then can grow in those areas to impact their community. Lord, I... 2003, I was working for an organization called The Joy of Jesus. So on Sunday mornings, it kind of bothered me when I would see kids playing basketball on the corner. I never could understand why they didn't want to come inside the church. I could see the neighborhood being broken and the different things that they were going through personally and spiritually. So as I was working in this organization, I began a program called Real Talk, Real Issues. So the kids would come into the program, they would sit down in a room, and they would talk about what their current issues were. And through that process, then they would, it would literally be them leaving from the joy of Jesus and began to be a part of the kingdom and going to a church that I started growing up in, which was a major impact to my walk. So being in the, in the gymnasium, being in the classroom, having worship in the midst of the hallway, during the summertime, watching kids being transformed right in front of my life, even as a new believer myself, was just an amazing process for me because in the midst of their transformation, I was being transformed. So I had this opportunity to be in schools throughout the east side of our great city and I have the opportunity to go inside the schools, teach them on a curriculum called Becoming a 21st Century Leader, and now they're learning these core values, but then through that process, I get to meet them in school, to meet them in a the community through, you know, Eagle Sports, through um, flag football, baseball, soccer, through the process of being a coach for Harper Woods, for Red Baron South, so now, I meet them outside of the realm of school, but then I meet them in community, and then I get to invite them into a community that I'm invested into, which is Grace Community Church. It's beyond the church. It's about the kingdom. And when we realize that as individuals, then we'll recognize that we have a bigger call. And it's, it's a great call to be with inside the walls of our church. But it's a bigger call when we reach outside of the walls of our church so the kids and the adults can be impacted by the Word of God. Tell me your thoughts, what's on your mind. I hope that you've enjoyed the videos. We just tried to pick out people within our congregation that are kind of living out a Nehemiah sort of story. Jay Hill would be one of those, and we're super. Super glad he's a part of our congregation. Hey, um, I don't know if you took Lakeisha seriously. I don't know if you'll take me seriously, to be honest with you, but uh, take out the card and fill it out. And I'm going to wait right here while you do it. There you go. We got one. Yeah, come on. Grab the card. Take a minute. Fill it out. We got two. That's good. Three. Oh, good. Yeah, they're going. So it would be great to just fill the room uh, for this the need for this today. So if you don't mind grabbing the card and filling it out, 
making sure you drop it off. We would love for that to happen. I want to take a minute just to welcome you and to wish you a happy Mother's Day. One thing we are very aware of. Yeah, you can clap for that. Uh, one thing that we're very aware of is that for some of you, uh, this is a difficult day. For some of you, this is your first Mother's Day without your mom or uh, maybe you've even struggled in this area, and we just want to recognize that and just tell you that we want to uh, pray for you, so I'm going to do that right now. Lord, we just uh, lift up everyone in the room here today, whether today is a day of great celebration or there's a sense of mourning uh, with some of their own journey in this, I just pray uh, that you would meet them in that. I know that you desire to meet them, you desire to minister to them, uh, and so we just ask for that. We ask that today would be a glorious day, uh, because this is the day that you've made, and uh, you're in it. And so we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, before we jump into the sermon, I want to share a little bit of change that's coming. Actually, for the next few weeks, you're going to hear about a lot of change. Uh, so I'm just preparing you uh, to be ready for that. But whenever I talk about change, it has a tendency to stir you up. So I'm just uh, sort of preparing you and asking you that you would stay with us. Uh, but one of the things we're going to do is starting June 18th, which is just a few weeks away, uh, we're going to go to one service on Sundays. That service, I haven't even said it yet and you're happy about it. Thanks. Uh, that service is going to be at 10 o'clock. Uh, it'll be on Sundays. And, and part of the reason for doing this is we are uh, planning on and working towards launching a Saturday service uh, come fall. And so this will be sort of a test run for us, a way for us to see if it really works. So one service starting June 18th, and then we're launching a Saturday at five service uh, in, in mid-September. So uh, this summer will be great for us. And there's a lot of reasons for doing this. Uh, but one of the things that's obvious is we, it feels pretty, uh, I think we can say confidently that if you can make it to the 10 o'clock or the nine o'clock service, or you can make it to the 11 o'clock service, that you can probably make it to a 10 o'clock service. But if you can't come on Sunday morning, you can't come on Sunday morning. And so having a Saturday service offers an option that's beyond Sunday morning. We kind of feel like we're, we're not really giving people um, a variety of options by having two services back to back. Uh, so that's one of the first big reasons. Plus, we're just getting a lot of people who are asking if that's a possibility. If you are in the service industry, if you have kids in sports, we have some people that have gone for months not being able to get here on Sunday because their kids play hockey, for instance. And we just realized the world no longer holds it sacred. And uh, so we're going to make Saturdays available to uh, the congregation. The other, one of the other reasons for this, which I just love, is it just uh, as God continues to pour out his spirit in this place, and I don't know if you have noticed it, but there's much more of a uh, opportunity for us to be praying with people after the service, a lot more people coming down and just uh, having us pray over them for physical healing, spiritual healing. Um, and what we know to be true is it just feels really rushed when we have a service and then another service. And uh, so this gives us a time, I would say, to linger a little bit better, both on Saturdays and on Sundays, where we don't have to feel this need to be uh, pressing through the services quickly. Uh, so I would say it gives us a chance to be together a little bit more, for you to be with each other, for us to minister to you a little bit more. I just think it's going to be a beautiful thing uh, for us to have a little bit better pace. We know that um, we've already talked to some people that are excited about when Saturday comes, that they're going to stay and do their D groups on Saturdays after. We'll have the cafe open, so that can be a time for people to linger. We could do classes which we can't do right now, or maybe before at nine o'clock or something, we can do like a new member class or things like that. It just offers a whole lot of opportunities for us, and so that's important. And then I guess the last reason uh, that we're going to do the Saturday service is we just feel like it's an opportunity to launch 
a new movement of God, I kind of almost feel like it's a church plant within a church. Uh, that we know there's new people that are going to come. There's people who just haven't been able to uh, make Sunday mornings. And so one of the things we're going to ask, just like when we've planted other churches, is we want you to start praying about whether or not you would be a part of the Saturday experience. The hope is that there would be 150 to 200 families that would make Saturday morning their service, uh, at least for the next year after we launch it. And that would kind of seed that service, make sure that we have a critical mass. And to be honest with you, if some of you don't decide to go to Saturday, we're not going to fit anyway. And so we sort of need to kind of spread out and and do that. And it'll also help to serve. So I just think it's going to be an awesome movement of God. So that's some of the change that's coming. Stay tuned for more next week. But let me uh, just pray for us as we think about this. Lord, I do pray that you would bless uh, these plans, we know we understand that uh, man makes the plans and God directs the steps. So we ask that you would direct our steps as we move through this. Pray that you'd give us wisdom as the one service begins. I pray for everyone who's in the room right now that's feeling some anxiety, uh, don't want to get up earlier or whatever that is, that you would just relieve that, that you would just encourage them, uh, that they would be excited about us all being together for the summer and the room being full and us getting a chance to uh, be with each other. So we just pray that you would bless Um, All of that I've just talked about in the Saturday service would just um, be an amazing experience for new people who are coming and for us just to bless our community. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the fourth week of Nehemiah, a series that we've called Broken. The idea is that God is in the business of rebuilding and restoring (coughs) and bringing revival. Nehemiah sort of teaches us, if you will, and what we've seen so far is this picture that that we need to be broken for the things that God is broken over, that we need to have a heart of God, if you will, towards the things that that God has broken for ought to break us, that we ought to come to God with a humble and a contrite spirit, and that our lives ought to be about stepping into the brokenness that's all around us, whether that's within your family or within your community or even within the world, that God is going to help us to, to see the brokenness and that we need to be willing to step in to that. I want to kind of recap a little bit about where we've been for the first couple chapters. The first week, I talked about the five necessary responses to the invitation of God. If you remember, I said that God's movement in your life always starts with an invitation and that we need to learn to see, we need to learn to feel, we need to learn to know to ask and then to do. We need to see what God wants us to see. Like I said, be broken for what God wants us to be broken for. We need to feel what God feels. We need to be willing to allow ourselves to be wrecked by the things that wreck God. We need to know what the heart of God is and move in God's will that we need to be willing to ask and pray. So we see Nehemiah fasting and praying. And then we need to be willing to do. If it ends with just praying about it, then we haven't really listened because I can guarantee you that if God shows you chaos in the world, if God shows you brokenness in the world, if God breaks your heart for those things and then you begin to pray about it, he is going to ask you to step into that, that there is a doing that's necessary. And so we we ask and we pray and then we're willing to do what God is calling us to do. Two weeks ago when Gerald preached, uh, Pastor G has talked about the fact that we are all sent by God, that we are part of a royal priesthood, that we all have a mission, that we all have a sent. He talked about the fact that we need to live our lives in such a way that the people around us are seeing God, that we are pointing towards God. He said that we all need to work towards discovering our scent. I appreciated the fact that he clarified that was S-E-N-T and not anything else. Last week, we listened to Flett, and it was an awesome message, 
And uh, the takeaway for me as I was listening to that online, uh, I was out of the country and listening to it, was the more than once when Nehemiah says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, right? He says, the hand of the Lord was, was with me, and he's giving us this clear picture of the fact that Norflet really brought it out in a powerful way, that if, if you are listening to God, if you are called by God, and you're empowered by God's spirit, that you can do more than you can ask, think, or imagine. There's no limit to what you can do when you're in the will of God and empowered by the spirit of God. It was a great message. And I encourage you, if you haven't heard all three of those messages, if you've only heard parts of them, that you get those messages and kind of keep up with where we're going. But that brings us to where we are, Nehemiah chapter three. And this is one of those chapters that if we're not intentional, we could easily just skim over it. It's kind of like reading the genealogies in scripture. You guys remember those passages in the, in the Old Testament where so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so. Now, let's just be honest. How many of you got into that and just skipped to the last so-and-so? And then kept reading, because after a while, you can't even pronounce the names. It kind of feels like, wow, this is just a long list. Well, this chapter can feel a lot like that. But in fact, there's a lot in this chapter for us to hold on to. There's, There's something in this for us to see. Matter of fact, this is a picture of God's people living out the mission and the purpose that God intended for them. What we're gonna see this morning is we're gonna see what happens when God's people live on mission. And that's what we're talking about today. What does it look like to be on mission? There's only a few places in scripture, I think, where people of God come together of of one accord, where they are all kind of 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 one mind and on mission. And in every case, when we see it, and we're going to talk about a few of those other places in scripture, wherever that happens, you see a movement of God happen. You see the spirit of God doing something unexpected and something powerful in the lives of the people. So, in the earlier chapters, remember, we've seen Nehemiah. He hears the news about Jerusalem. His heart is broken over what's going on. He begins to fast and pray. God sends him to, to repair or to, to step into that chaos. The king blesses him. He's, he's got all that. He's already arrived now. He's gone out at night, and he's traveled around, and he's seen what needs to be done, and he's come up with a, with a plan, if you will, and, and he's set out to, to do what he needs to do. What I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to show you three components from chapter three that really is, are the components of what it looks like for us to be on mission. And the first component of being on mission is a unified vision. Now, I want you to have your Bibles open to chapter three, so go ahead and grab your Bibles open to Nehemiah chapter three. I'm not going to read the whole chapter just for the sake of time, but I am going to go to it a few different times, and I'm going to point out some certain phrases or certain passages that you might want to underline or, or make notes on. So be in Nehemiah three. If you're a Facebook person or social media, just want to encourage you to use that to tell people out there that God is doing something in here. But Nehemiah chapter three, and as a matter of fact, the first component that we're talking about is this idea of a unified vision, and the unified vision actually is stated in chapter two. So just look at verses 17 and 18 in chapter two. If you're in three, just go back a little bit. Nehemiah is talking, and he says to the people, excuse me, you see the trouble that we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruin and the gates are burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of God and that had been upon me and for, for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up, build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. 
So the first component of a being on mission is a unified vision. And the unified vision of Nehemiah is not to build a wall. Let me say that again. The unified vision for Nehemiah is not to build a wall. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 17, Nehemiah says, you see we're in trouble. Uh, You see the trouble that we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruin? The vision is to get out of trouble. The vision is to escape the ruins. The vision is to be delivered from the difficulties that the people are in. So in your lives, it's good if you have this opportunity to say, God, what is, what is the difficulty that I'm facing? What are the ruins that are in front of me? And to have a vision for how to get out of that, to, to understand that Jesus has a way for us to escape, if you will, or to move beyond the chaos of our lives. So the vision is is to establish the people of God in Jerusalem with a a place where they can live, with an identity, with a sense of belonging. The vision is to create community. The vision is to, to build a wall, but to build a wall for the purpose of community. You see, in the ancient world, a city was not a city if it didn't have a wall. As a matter of fact, when we read even non-biblical texts, cities were often described by the height and width and, and, and the, 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 the strength of their walls. That became kind of their identity. Cities in the ancient world were described by the walls. If you remember the story of the Israelites, remember when they came into the promised land? You remember the first city they came to was Jericho. And what did God have the people do? He had to march around the city over and over. And in the end, they blew a trumpet. And what happened? The walls collapsed. There's meaning in that. There's more going on there than God just being creative. Saying, hey, I got an idea. Let's just march around. And the walls collapsed. With the walls collapsing, it was a moment in time where the people who were in Jericho no longer had a sense of security, no longer had a sense of belonging. There was, there was a message in those walls collapsing that, that they were not a people. And the same is true now for the Israelites as they are in Jerusalem and they don't have a wall. They really don't have any sense of belonging any sense of community. Nehemiah is calling the people to this unified vision of restoration by building a wall, reestablishing the city and the people. I said it earlier, but there's only a few places in scripture. Nehemiah is one of them. And there's a few other places where we see the people coming together with a unified vision and then seeing the spirit of God poured out. All the way through, through the scriptures, there are these moments in time where it happens. One of them is in the Old Testament. So the people have just been set free from Egypt. Remember that the, all the plagues came and all of a sudden they're, they're free and they're, they're wandering through the, the wilderness and, and God gives Moses a vision for a tabernacle. So they want you to build a tabernacle and he has a clear picture of exactly how the tabernacle, right down to the measurements and how it's gonna be built. And so Moses goes to the people and he explains the vision of a tabernacle and he, he tells the people what, the, what they need to do and, and how they need to have it. And the people come together in a sort of unprecedented way. And so we see in verse five of chapter 36 of the Exodus story, this is Moses saying, he says, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. I think, as far as I can tell, this is the only time in human history where the people were told to stop giving. 
because they have given so much, because they caught the unified vision so much, they had given so much, Moses is like, enough is enough. We have more than we need for the task that's at hand. If you re- continue reading in Exodus, the next four chapters is another one of those lists where we hear who did what, and we have goldsmiths, and we have weavers, and we have all these different people contributing in their giftedness to build this incredible place called the tabernacle. So you have this picture of, of this unified vision, all of the people coming together and doing what the people are supposed to do. And then listen to what happens at the very end of Exodus. In Exodus 40, 34, it says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. Not before, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all of their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. What I want you to see is that there is a connection between the people coming together with a unified vision and the glory of the Lord descending, the spirit of God descending on the tabernacle. Does it mean that God could have done it a different way? Of course he could, he's God but he didn't. He invites the people to participate in what he's doing. He invites the people to come together in unity. And then the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. We see this same principle in Acts. In Acts 2, there's this beautiful picture, Acts 2.42. It says, and, and they, the people of God, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Do you see the unity of vision there? You see this picture of, of unity. They have all things in common, verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all, to any who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received food and glad, generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And listen to this. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. There is this picture of the people of God coming together with a unified vision. And then there's this beautiful picture of wondrous signs and God adding to their numbers day by day. Could God have done it differently? Of course he could, but he didn't. He brought the people together with a unified vision where they connected together. And then the spirit of God is poured out in a powerful way. So a unified vision is a necessary part of us being on mission. And this applies not just to this church on the corner of Moross and I-94. It applies to the church in Metro Detroit. That's why I get so excited when we talk about this, this each thing that's happening this year where all of these churches across denominational lines are coming together to do things like sore tutoring where we're teaching every kid in Detroit that wants it to read at or above grade level or the stuff that we're, we're doing downtown with the Um, life remodeled, or if you think about the different churches from different denominations coming together and planting churches, it's a picture of us being together on mission beyond one little church, but multiple churches. And when we do that, when we finally lock arms, when we finally put down our differences and we are united together and serving together, I believe God's spirit is going to be poured out in a powerful way. And we are going to see revival in the city of Detroit. (laughs) 
that's fascinating to me as I travel or we've had people that have come and visited Grace from out of town and they, they operate more in the prophetic realm. I hope that doesn't freak you out, but they tend to be more prophetic in the way they go. And, and, and a lot of them will talk about the fact that there is a sense amongst them that there is going to be a revival in America, something powerful, a movement of God's spirit is gonna sweep. And to a person, they all say that one of the places where this revival is going to start, it's gonna be in multiple cities, but one of the cities is Detroit. And I believe it's this unification of vision that will be part of it. But wouldn't that be awesome if we were at the center of this revival that God is going to bring across the United States? We need that unified vision because when we come together, it unleashes the movement of God beyond our wildest imagination. So let me challenge you just a little bit because this being on mission, it can be... Uh, too corporate. It could be just the big picture, and, and I know that's what I just talked about, but it, it also needs to be personal. It needs to apply to your own lives. It needs to apply to your family. Does your family have a unified vision? Are you all pulling towards the same thing? Are you all looking for and working towards the same thing? I wanna give you a little bit of a challenge on this Mother's Day. There's gonna be a lot of family time today for a lot of you. Uh, and so I gotta give you just a little bit of homework. I want you to think about and talk about what a family mission statement might look like. What is a vision statement for your particular family? I uh, actually found a few here, and these are all people that you would know if I told you their names, or most of them anyway. Um, but I want to share with you what their, their family mission statements are, because for me, it was very inspiring and challenging. Um, and then these, uh, you don't have to try to write them down. We're going to include these in the notes. How many of you get the sermon notes through the email? John does a great job with that. Thank you, John. Um, but he'll include these if you just want an example of, of the ones that I'm reading. But the first family mission statement is, our family mission is to love the Lord above all else, to always be honest, to counter blessings, to bear one another's burdens, to forgive and forget, to be kind and tenderhearted to each other, to comfort one another, to keep our promises, to be supportive to others, look after each other, treat each other the way we want to be treated, and love one another deeply from the heart. That would be a pretty powerful thing for an entire family to agree upon and say, hey, this is how we're going to operate as a family. Here's another one. It says, our mission is to honor and serve God, others, and ourselves. We're going to create a nurturing place of order, integrity, love, happiness, relaxation. We will believe in each other. We will foster responsibility by teaching our children to love, learn, laugh, and work to develop their unique God-given talents. I love that one. Then I'm gonna read one more. And this is a family here at Grace and they have this printed on their wall. When you walk into their house, there's a wall in front of the door as you come into the coat room, I guess it would be. And it's, it's literally printed right on the wall. It's a beautiful thing. You can't help but miss it, but or can't help but see it. And this is what their, this is what their, I guess you could help to miss it. Here's their family mission statement. I love this. It says, in this house, we are real. We make mistakes. We say, I'm sorry. We give second chances, we have fun, we give hugs, we forgive, we do really loud, I like that part, we are patient and we love. In happy moments, we praise God, difficult moments, seek God, quiet moments, worship God, painful moments, trust God, and in every moment, thank God. Isn't that beautiful? Again, we'll include these in the sermon notes so you have them, but I just, I just wonder what would happen if, if we began to have conversations as a family 
as individuals? What is, what is that unified vision that we have? At Grace, I think we have a unified vision, and I think this is a conversation we need to have as, as elders and as staff to even clarify it more and more. But what comes out of the mission and our mission and our values is that we exist to see transformation. We exist to see transformation of people and the city and the world through the movement of God's spirit that's gonna be unleashed through a continual posture of hearing God and being obedient to what he says. And one of the things I know to be true that as we learn to hear God, he's gonna call us to things and that we can unify around those things that God is calling us to do. Jesus said we ought to be known by our unity. The world will see our unity, but we need to be seen through our good deeds that honor our Father in heaven. The Apostle Paul said that there's good works that God created in advance for us to do. There is something that is required of us to do as we follow Jesus. If we're gonna be on mission, we have to have a unified vision. But we also have to see the path or we have to see the, the plan. We have to know how to make it happen. And that's the second part of a being on mission. We need a clear plan. If you think about the Exodus story, I was talking about the tabernacle. Moses had a plan. God gave him the vision and Moses backed it out. And he said, what are the steps? What are the things we need to do? What would the weavers do? What would the goldsmiths do? What would each of the people do to make it happen? And, and as he put the plan together, then people could step in and, and an enormous task that seemed almost impossible became very manageable when each person does their own part. And here's the problem, if you want to make this person, we are often paralyzed by the enormity of the vision that God gives us. Have you ever had so much work to do that you can't do anything? I got so much to do, I don't know where to start, so you sit on the couch not starting anything because you got so much... Yeah, some of you can relate to it. I can relate to it, right? Sometimes the enormity of the project keeps us from moving at all. And there's this picture that if we're not careful, the, the vision that God gave us, which I guarantee you is gonna be beyond your ability to do, the vision is gonna be so large that you're gonna feel paralyzed by it, but you gotta come back to it and you gotta take it in steps and you gotta, you gotta have a plan and, and God, you gotta allow God, just like I prayed earlier, like we can have the vision, but God's gonna direct your steps. So the question isn't, what's the big vision sometimes? Sometimes the best question I can ask you or you can ask yourselves is, what is God asking you to do today? A lot of you already know the answer to that question. You know that God is asking you to start doing something or he's asking you to stop doing something. And probably what he's saying is, would you just spend a little more time with me? Would you just hang out with me a little bit more? Would you just be in the word a little bit more? Would you have more of a, a quiet time with me in the morning? Maybe that's a good place to start as your vision for what you want in your life to come to fruition. I love that Norflet talked so much last week about this idea that, that if you don't have a vision for yourself, if you don't have a vision for your family, then ask God. He will give you a vision for your family. It's in his will that you know what it is you, you need to do. And, and then you just need to be obedient in the moment and do what you need to do. Here at Grace, we just want to foster this culture of of the spirit of God speaking to us individually and corporately and us being willing to be obedient to what we hear the spirit say. It boils down to the words hear and obey. We wanna be a church that hears God and then moves in obedience. And so how are we gonna do that? How do we even foster that in the church? And that's why I love this whole thing we have going now called D groups or discipleship groups. You meet with a group of somewhere from three to six people, same gender, 
and you, you learn to hear God together. The way it's laid out is brilliant, and it's, and it's just a way for us to learn to tune in and to hear the voice of God in our lives. It's a way of encouraging one another. It's a way for us to pray over one another. It's a way for us to learn to hear God speak through the word of God. That's why the 15 minutes with God is so important for us right now. If we can get everyone at Grace participating in this 15 minutes with God, where you spend five minutes reading the scripture, five minutes listening to what God wants to say through your scriptures, and then five minutes journaling. What we know to be true is for a lot of you, 15 minutes isn't going to be enough time. But if you will commit to the 15 minutes, God will show up and you will begin to hear and move in obedience to what God wants you to do. There's a lot of exciting things going on here at Grace. And I don't have time to talk about all of them this morning, but over the next few weeks, it's kind of the the vision season for us as we gear up for the new ministry season in June. You're gonna hear more and more of the things that God is calling us to do. Of course, the citywide SOAR program is a part of it. We have a a conference coming here in October called Soul Care, which I think is gonna be transformational in our church. You think about what's going on with the prayer ministry and the restorative prayer. It's just God is moving. This is all part of us being on mission and doing what we need to do to hear God moving in the church. So the three components of being on mission, we need to have a unified vision. We need to have a clear plan. And the last thing we see in Nehemiah is we have to have a collective contribution. If you look at the chapter, chapter three, there is this clear picture of all hands on deck. As a matter of fact, I think everyone except for one small group of participating in chapter two, it says, but those, those people didn't, the nobles didn't participate and they didn't get to share in the blessing. Everybody else is involved. Everyone else, it's all hands on deck. So in verse one, we see high priests. In verse two, we see people from Jericho. In verse three and four, we see people from other towns. In verse five, we see sons. Six and seven, we see people from another two towns, Gideon and Mespah. In verse seven, if you're looking at it, in verse eight, uh, you see goldsmiths and perfumers. I assume that's people who make perfume. Pretty smart, huh? Uh, more sons, more out-of-towners. Verse 12, look at verse 12. You have a guy and his daughters working on a particular gate. By the time you get to 17, you have Levites, you have more sons, you have temple servants, you have more priests, and you have more goldsmiths. And so here's the observations I wanna make from this list that's in chapter three. Everyone is contributing. A lot of them are contributing in the area that's closest to their home too. So there's this this ownership of it, but people are coming from out of town, people who are religious folks, people who are pastors, if you will, priests are are a part of it, the Levites are a part of it, The, the goldsmiths are a part of it, the guy who makes perfume, the guy and his daughters, everyone is contributing. But if you look at verse two, if you got it open, look at verse two. There's a phrase in there, it's actually repeated twice if I remember right in verse two. It says, and next to them, and next to them. These words are repeated in one form or another, next to them, next to him, or after him, 25 times just in chapter three. If you're a person that writes in your Bible, I encourage you to just go through and underline every time you see and next to them and next to him or after him and just have them all highlighted because that's the picture. You see the important thing that God is trying to say to us is that we are not called to be on mission alone. Something profound happens when we lock arms together with a unified vision. It's a part of what God uses to unleash his spirit through his people. Have you ever done a short-term service project with a group of people? 
and something happens to your relationship with them. If you've ever been on a short-term mission trip where you built something together, there's a bond that takes place that really lasts forever. There is something that knits our hearts together when we, when, we, when we lock arms and we do something together. One of the things I love to do every other Saturday, uh, most Saturdays, I go down and I spend just a few minutes with the folks from my father's business. It's our food pantry that happens every other Saturday. And why I like to go down there is because I love to see the community that exists in that service. They love their clients and they love their clients well, but man, they are family. They are so connected to one another. They are, so why is that? It's because they have locked arms with a common vision to serve a group of people. And as they serve week after week, I had somebody stop me in the, in the hallway and they said, you, you have no idea how much true that is and how that has become catalytic for my own spiritual growth. As they were part of a unified vision, God shows up and he does a lot more than just help us to feed some people, which is necessary. The spirit of God shows up and there's a movement of God around that unified vision. Part of the plan that's in place here at Grace to help you grow spiritually is the six essentials, right? That you gather, that you are here on Sunday, that you connect with one another in small groups like the D groups I just talked about, that you serve, that you have hearts of devotion, hearts of generosity, hearts of, of influence, that you're telling others about your, your, the hope that you have. But the reason serve is in there, the reason we have serve is one of the six essentials. It's not so that we can keep you busy. It's not just because we need people, it's because that's what God's gonna use to connect your hearts together. I want you to dream with me just a little bit. Uh, it was a long time ago that God gave me this vision of teaching every willing third grader in Detroit to read at or above grade level. And uh, somewhere along the way, I kind of gave up on the vision and decided, well, okay, it's just an east side thing. We're gonna do what we can do. We're gonna love kids. We've had over a thousand kids go through the program. Average kid going up two and a half grade levels. God's been very faithful. Well, all of a sudden this each thing happens this year and all these churches, 300 churches are coming together and they come to us and say, hey, we wanna make your program, the tutoring program, a citywide initiative. Yeah, it's worth clapping over. And so I just, I just picture my mind as I, as I put the sermon together, like imagine if we led the way. Imagine if the majority of us gave an hour a week to change the trajectory of a kid's life. Well, imagine if we got a thousand people to come out of just grace alone to, to help these kids to read at or above grade level. But imagine when all of these churches across denominational lines lock arms to teach these kids to read. Look, it's a beautiful picture of social justice, but that excites me. But what really excites me is this picture of God pouring out his spirit when we finally come together in unity to do what God is calling us to do, to see revival actually happen in our city. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's what makes me excited. There's this picture in Nehemiah that I just love. I've already talked about it, but it's the next to her, next to him, after them, Imagine the impact when we lock arms. Think about the Exodus story. Think about the picture of Acts when the people came together and the spirit of God was poured out. As we study Nehemiah, we're gonna see that revival happens. Community happens and God pours out his spirit and the people turn back to God in a powerful way. What I love about chapter three is this picture of working arm in arm. But what I also love about it is that we are reading about a group of people 2,000 years later. 
We are reading the names of individuals who did what they could do to help build a wall. Here we are reading their names 2,000 years later, and, and I believe that there's still a book being written. I believe that when we're in heaven that we're gonna have time, we're gonna have a little time on our hands, but we're gonna be able to read the rest of the story, how God's people came together, and, and maybe we'll get to a section in the book and it'll just be this picture of, of reading something like the Bilderbecks came alongside herding marriages and the Jacksons opened their home for young adults and the Mancinellis mentored children and taught them to read and the Johnsons cared for senior sisters and the Nixons and the Gateleys and the Ledbetters served in my father's business and next to them and next to them and next to them. It's a beautiful picture of the royal priesthood, a group of individuals coming together to make up a community to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish for his kingdom. We are called to do the work of the kingdom side by side in unity. Paul talks about this picture of the body of Christ. He says, we are like a body, each one having its own part, each part having its own function, coming together to make up the whole thing. This is a beautiful picture in Nehemiah of this coming together as a body to accomplish something and then the spirit of God showing up in a powerful way. We're here as a church to help you discover that unique calling that God has on you? Where is it that God is calling you to serve to help you discover what it is? We're here to help you to get plugged in, to serve in a way that allows you to be a part of that unified vision. One vision, but each doing their unique part. Look, I believe that Jesus was truthful when he said, I came to give you life. And I believe that life is found in doing the very thing that God has called you and made you to do. When you experience the spirit of God and God speaks to you and you know what God wants you to do and you become part of that unified vision, there is an excitement and a part of the journey that goes beyond anything that I could explain to you. It's where joy is found in doing and being the very person that God created you to do. You were created as a work of art to make art. Jesus came to give us life. We are in all kinds of different places in this room. Some of you just need to say yes to Jesus. A lot of what I'm talking about doesn't make sense because you just haven't said, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I just need you to be my Lord, my Savior, and to give me a vision for my life. Some of you, God's already given you a vision and you've walked away from it. And you just need to come back and you just need to be right with God and you need to say, Jesus, I need you to be Lord and Savior of my life, and I want to live out the vision that you've given me. Some of you know what you need to do. Some of you are already doing it, and you just need to stay faithful to what God has for you. My encouragement to you is to do just that. Stay faithful. Let me just pray for us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the truth that you give us a vision for our kids, a vision for our lives, a vision for our relationships, a vision for our lives. Just pray, Lord, that you would clarify that vision, that you would show us the steps necessary. I pray even as we close the service, those who are feeling stirred to give their lives to you would just come down and receive prayer. For those who just need to recommit their lives to you, that they would come down, receive prayer. For those who just know what they need to do and stay faithful to it, that they would just come down and allow us to pray over them as well. Lord, I just have a sense that there's some in the room who are really discouraged. 
who may have even kind of given up just a sense of it doesn't really matter. That is not the spirit of God speaking. Pray that they would hear you whisper, it's not too late. Don't give up. Lean into me. Allow me to do more than you can ask, think, or imagine according to the power of the spirit at work within you. Lord, for the people in the room who just carry a great sense of discouragement and feeling defeated, I pray that they would just come down and allow us to pray over them. Thank you for the story of Nehemiah that serves to inspire us. Pray that you go ask with us throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, we have some wonderful people that would love to pray over you down here. Come on down. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.